Hi, this is Violet Lang. Welcome to my podcast, The Pleasure Path, all about love, dating, relationships, and femininity. I help successful spiritual women find their pleasure and their power to create healthy partnership. Maternal mental health is crucial for raising healthy kids and for taking good care of yourself. If you're a mama or know an expectant mama, this episode is for you. Danielle Jenkins is my special guest and shares about how to ensure your family thrives in postpartum. Welcome everyone to a fantastic episode of The Pleasure Path. I am really thrilled and delighted as a new mama to welcome Dr. Danielle Jenkins to our show. She is a psychologist and maternal mental health expert, and she's been working with families for over 20 years. First as a nanny, then as a preschool teacher in parent-child interactive preschools, and then as a postpartum doula before she finally pursued a degree in psychology. And she's taken these experiences helping mothers and babies and children and families and went to George Fox University in Oregon, where she received her doctorate and then completed an internship at Cherokee Health Systems in Knoxville, Tennessee, so all over the country. And then while there, she did rotations in pediatrics, primary care, women's health, and now she has a private practice where she enjoys seeing women to help problem solve the frustrations of new parenting and help women and their partners overcome the pain of infertility, birth trauma, pregnancy, and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. One of Danielle's favorite things is helping women who feel like they've lost themselves during the postpartum period recover and thrive. And just before we started recording, Danielle and I were setting our intention for this podcast episode and pleasure and thrive were something that she had mentioned. And I love those intentions because as we're recording is during the um, coronavirus quarantine and in general, being a new mom myself, pleasure and thriving are something that have taken on a new importance and are really, really crucial. So I'm really glad that you're here as an expert to chime in on this issue. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you about um, the joys and pain of new motherhood and um, some of the tricky parts of that life transition. Yeah, I think until you go through it or until you know someone who's gone through it, it's just this from the outside looks like this fairy tale, oh, the new baby and everything joyful. Um, but there's a lot of growing pains, labor pains, literally for the baby and then labor pains and growing pains. And I myself was not prepared for the psychological journey of the birth and then, and then becoming a new mom. So it's really, um, fascinating to me that we aren't more prepared as a society. We're not preparing new mothers as a society as well as, as we could. So that's why you do what you do. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, go ahead. yeah, those are really, um, I mean, that's, that's something that I hear commonly that I wasn't prepared for this. Um, I thought I knew what it would be like. Maybe people have a lot of childcare experience or are really close to nieces and nephews or things like that. Um, and then they are just shocked by exactly what you said, the psychological um, aspects of becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I know you started with nannying and all sorts of child and parent interactions, but what captured your heart about this, about this topic or about this niche that you now are serving so beautifully? 
So I have been taking care of moms and babies since I was a little tiny girl. Um, My siblings are a lot younger than I am. And so I watched my mom go through her pregnancies and postpartum depression with like old enough eyes to uh, understand what was happening. And my mom was the first woman I knew who had postpartum depression. And it was very impactful on our family life. And also my mother is a person who is really good at taking care of other women. So she was constantly talking about how, you know, it's really nice to bring the mom a gift because the baby's always getting these gifts and mamas don't get very many gifts and things like that, that she would talk to me about as a, as a young girl. And so I just naturally grew. I was a, I was a doula before, (laughs) before I even knew what the term was, uh, (laughs) just taking care of, um, moms and families. And, um, you know, it was always that um, babysitter who could calm the baby and, you know, just a baby whisperer from early on. And so it, I just fell into it naturally. Um, but then when I was a postpartum doula, and even as a nanny, I worked with several moms who had a really profound postpartum depression. And I felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted to really uh, understand and impact the mental health challenges that are unique to motherhood. And it was just a natural fit. And I, I was, I'm a natural learner. I, I enjoy um, learning and growing and changing. And so going very far in academics is not surprising. Um, although after all the study I've done at this point, I'm, I'm fine with taking a break from that for a while. But, um, you know, I it was a, just a natural progression for me. Uh, you know, I was able to help a little bit uh, in those early roles, but then I found that I, I was longing for more and having more impact. Um, and so that's that's why I went into psychology. I was always drawn to families who needed a little extra, a little extra help, a little extra support. And mm-hmm. so um, I wanted to figure that out. And so I became a psychologist. And then I was like, nobody's doing this work. So it was before some of the maternal mental health movements that have come about recently. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing your journey. I love how personal it is, but also how deep you've gone in your studies and in your level of support. So tell us a little bit about the difference between maternal or postpartum depression and anxiety and more general depression and anxiety. Like what makes it different? So a lot of what makes it different is that piece that you talked about, the psychological shifts. So partially it's because these are critical times. Um, So psychologists call them critical periods and it's things like, um, getting getting your first um, menses and um, pregnancy, nursing, stopping nursing, um, menopause, any big hormonal shifts make our brain more susceptible to um, uh, incidences. So it, it, you're just more sensitive to things that you wouldn't normally be sensitive to. And so if there's going to be a time in your life where um, something cracks, that's going to be a time. Um, And so it could look like depression or anxiety or other manifestations, but it's going to be more likely to, to be 
profound and be an actual um, diagnosis during that period of time. Mm, that makes total sense. I mean, hormonal shifts of getting pregnant and having a baby and nursing and taking care of the baby. I can, I can only imagine. Um, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild ride. Um, and we actually, our daughter had a health thing happen about one month in that felt like compounded it, you know, and I think every parent is, is vulnerable in some ways. Having a child is a vulnerable thing. You don't know what's going to happen with you or your children and not to be negative, but, um, you know, there, whether it's the breastfeeding or something with the baby's health or something within the family relationship, it feels like most moms that I talk to, cause I'm in like a mommy and me group okay. have all struggled with something that pretty intense in addition to, you know, the hormones and everything going on. So I can only imagine that it's, yeah, it's such a sensitive time. It is very sensitive. And like you said, there's a lot of pieces that you're not expecting because most women have that experience of that fairy tale um, feeling, that like ideal picture of family life and what the ideal mother looks like in their head. And then the reality of having so many different emotions all mixed together is something that until you experience it, you can't really understand it. And um, no matter how many people will stop you on the street, I don't think people do this, but I think there's a lot of moms who want to, to say, you're in for a big thing and I want to prepare you for it. It's really hard to prepare. And also because our culture has shifted in the way we um, have our family lives, we're very much more isolated than in previous times in history. And so that's a big part of, of why this is a challenge because we're not, you know, working together on household chores in the way that like a village life would have lended itself to where you would have talked about your cousin who had a really difficult delivery and your grandmother who had a stillbirth and, you know, these different things that happen in the course of becoming a mother we, we just don't have a place for that in our culture currently. And so that's a, a big part of it is that women aren't prepared because they hear these little blips of like, oh, there's this thing about postpartum depression or oh, the this or the that. But it's, it's sort of in passing and it's in um, a way that it's very easy to say, that won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And in the way that my midwife or other healthcare professionals talked with me about it, it was always like, oh, it may happen. You know, it does happen for 20% of women, but it's only for a few weeks. It was kind of like minimized that if it does happen, you know, it's a short amount of time and like it just passes. But um, I don't think that that's really true. Um, maybe it is true. I'll ask you, I guess, like, what's the duration? How does someone know if they should reach out to someone? And um intuitively it feels like to me even if it does experience more extreme if there are more extreme symptoms for a few weeks it feels like the the lasting effects could be could be pretty big yeah so you bring up a great point and I think what a lot of women experience is like this understanding of postpartum depression or maternal mental health issues that is not quite accurate and it's because a lot of providers don't get training 
about this or the, the training they do is very vague and very, um, you know, like you need to screen people for this and that's about it. And they don't, they don't really tell, tell those providers how to talk about it. And so um, what you're describing that like couple of weeks is actually baby blues and it can happen to up to 80% of women, depending on where you live and what your situation is. But if it lasts longer than 10 days or really longer than two weeks, it's no longer baby blues and it's no longer something mild. It's something that could be more severe. Um, and so that's where we're getting into that 15 to 20% of women. Um, and, and so if it lasts longer than two weeks, it's not baby blues. If it goes longer than that, it might take the shape of a couple of different things. And a lot of them are sort of um, piled under the umbrella of postpartum depression, but they're really different things. So there's postpartum depression, which is very similar to traditional depression, um, except that there does um, have these hormonal, there are these hormonal components. There's um, some other aspects, like you're going to be fatigued when you're a new parent. Um, and so that question doesn't really apply when we're talking about, um, you know, maternal depression, so whether it's in pregnancy or postpartum. Um, and then a lot of times people are, women are actually experiencing postpartum or even prenatal anxiety, but it gets lumped under depression. And so they're saying, well, you know, I have a couple of things that are like depression, you know, like I'm constantly worried that I'm going to do something to the baby or that something bad is going to happen to her. Um, but like, other than that, like, I don't feel sad. I don't cry. I just don't sleep or I just don't, um, like I can't stop worrying or I'm having scary thoughts that won't go away. I will note that about 95% of women have those scary thoughts. The ideas of like, I'm going to accidentally drop the baby down the stairs or someone's going to hurt her or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 95% of women and 95% of women don't have postpartum or prenatal anxiety. It's just something that is pretty normal when you're sleep deprived and having hormonal shifts and it's evolutionary for us to become a little bit more anxious so that we all protect our babies. Yeah. But, I think in the Netflix documentary on babies, they were saying something that once you have a child, your amygdala like never, never goes back. Like it has a a profound impact on your level of anxiety because you're supposed to be that attached to the baby. Um, yeah. Reassuring to hear reassuring. And, and also, wow, that 95% of women will have those thoughts. We have hardwood, like tile there's tile that looks like hardwood floors through most of okay. our house. And I remember just being so paranoid that I was going to somehow drop the baby and, and okay. carpeting that she would land and like, Oh, it's just, nerve wracking all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I really resonate with that. Yeah. And so if those thoughts though, um, get bigger or you notice that like, you're really unable to sleep when the baby sleeps more than just a couple of times, you notice that you are doing compensatory behaviors for those scary thoughts. Um, you notice like it's just getting bigger and bigger. 
that's a time to reach out to providers. So it's also, it's the sadness piece. It's the low mood. It's thoughts of like, oh, my, my child would be better off without me. Those are times to get support and help that it's, it's more than the baby blues. It's lasted longer than a couple of weeks. Those are the times really that you want to reach out for help and support. Wow. Can you explain what the compensatory thoughts means? Yeah. So if you are doing something like you're really worried, this is, this is something that's going to be happening a lot right now, but you're worried about like some harm coming to the baby. Like you're worried, like they're going to get coronavirus or, you know, the packages are covered in germs and you're doing something more than just like a mild, like we're going to leave the package here for a week or a day or something, you know, like we're going to just wipe it off and then wash our hands. But you're like finding that you're obsessively washing your hands or obsessively cleaning your house. You're like repeatedly doing certain actions. You find yourself checking the door multiple times a day to make sure it's locked. You're checking the oven, those kinds of things. You're putting down five rugs on the on the tile that you're worried about. You won't drive somewhere. You won't um, walk down the stairs without the baby in a car seat. And this is more than like a few times then then that's um then we're looking at something more like a postpartum OCD kind of thing yeah and how does that impact you know if it isn't treated like how does that impact the child and then how does that impact the mother does she ever come out of that or does she come out and then relapse or whatever you want to call it after another pregnancy or what is that how does that shape a woman's like future experiences yeah, so this is a tricky thing to talk about because sometimes, uh, many times, depression, anxiety, they can resolve on their own, particularly as you get more sleep and you get more support and you like sort of figure out your mom groove. A lot of it will resolve. But sometimes it doesn't. And um, without, you know, intervention, whether, whether, whether it's um, supplements or medication or therapy or combination, um, some people do need that for their brain to reset. And what happens if you don't get treatment when um, you need it is it does actually affect like the development of the baby. Um, it can, and this is a, this is such a challenging thing for me to talk about because one of the hallmarks of maternal mental health issues is guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. There, here's a woman who's already feeling like she's not a good enough mother or like her kids would be better off without her or things like that. And then there's this research that shows, you know, when we don't get treatment, um, development is affected. That baby can grow up then to struggle with um, mood and anxiety issues themselves. They might not thrive physically um, as well as they could. Um, they might have things like um, attention deficit disorder, Um, things like that. They might have conflict with their peers more often, things like that, because it really does affect the bonding and it affects, that affects development. There's good news though, (laughs) that for those mamas who do get treatment, there's very little effect on their children. And, um, even the ones who are in the throes of depression and anxiety, if they do the behaviors that a mother who doesn't have depression um, does, 
their baby will not have the same effects. So those are things like making eye contact, talking to your baby, snuggling, you know, doing those things that might feel a little bit hard when you're feeling disconnected from your baby. But if you keep doing those behaviors, you do the, you do the, <laughs> the ones that you want to want to do, then um, not only will that help the baby develop appropriately, it will help the mother um, resolve the mental health issues faster. Mm. That's so key to keep that healthy attachment going. I'm huge on attachment because that's part of relationship and it does Mm -hmm. happen so early in our development. And I just have so much compassion for for moms and everything that they have to go through. Just digesting the delivery and the labor alone is, is like a, you know, very intense, at least for me, it was an intense process, let alone, you know, taking the baby and I have a very supportive partner but like you were saying earlier we used to live in a society where there was more of a tribal mentality and Mm. stories shared and chores shared and you know Jason's mom um Ruby's grandma came out for a few weeks and I didn't realize until she she had left like oh my god that was so nice because Mm. I think I just uh, I just absorbed all of her help and and um it wasn't until after she left, I was like, oh yeah, when she was here, you know, I could shower every day. And there were a few days that I actually did some stretching and some yoga and Pilates in the living room. And um, there was just an extra like, oh, like person I could relax around because I knew that she was sharing part of the responsibility along with me and, and with Jason. Um, but he was traveling a lot of the time when she was here. So anyway, I'll just to say that, yeah, having additional support is so so important. I hope every woman who is pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant knows that there are resources like you and 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 the community that you're leading to help women really thrive and to to find pleasure in the process of becoming a new mom. Yeah, because I think a lot of it really is wonderful and I think that sometimes it feels like we have to choose like that if we want it to feel wonderful, we can't acknowledge the hard parts. I'm so glad you mentioned support because um, that is one of the biggest factors in whether a woman will develop develop maternal mental health issues is whether or not she has support. And it's also one of the best um, things that contribute to treatment. So um, having enough support is really key. And it's also something that many people are lacking. Mm. Yeah. I had hired, a, we had hired as a family, a postpartum doula to help after we had Ruby. Well, we hired her before the uh, labor and delivery, but we don't have any family that lives close by and it was close to the holidays and we weren't going to be going anywhere, really seeing anyone for the holidays. And um, mm-hmm. my family, my family has had um, mental health challenges. So I was just like, we have to do this. So we had a woman that came to our house every other day for 20 days basically after the labor and I got just two hours of massage and talking with someone and you know feeling nourished and not having to be taking care of the baby in that moment and it was the best gift ever like had we not done that and then we found out about the health challenges that Ruby was going through you know the month or two later I I don't know how to made it you know I I wouldn't have felt resourced at all so I I think there's no, you can't do enough support for the postpartum period. 
Yes. And that's something that definitely I hope that any women who are pregnant or planning to become pregnant at some point, um, I hope they hear is that um, we need a lot more support than we think we're going to need. And it's okay to ask for and accept that help. And in fact, it's better if you do. And that can be really challenging, but it's so necessary because most of us have this idea of what it's going to be like that isn't very realistic. And so they don't realize until they're very far into needing support that they really should have had support. And it's way better to have too much that you then have to scale back, which I've literally never heard of. (laughs) I mean, doesn't Beyonce have like 13 nannies or something like that? I mean, it's like some (laughs) amazing amount. And like, you know, like so many, so many times we we need more support than we have. And so it's way better to then be like, actually, we're good. We don't need you anymore <laughs> than, um, than to be desperate for it and not have it lined up. And then when you're already feeling low and vulnerable to then have to scramble it together. Yes. And something you were saying earlier about there's so many emotions that come up, emotions you never felt before and emotions all happening at the same time. I can attest to that because I did have a lot of friends reaching out for support, but sometimes they'd be like, how are you doing? And I'd be thinking, well, in this moment, I'm great. But, you know, had they asked me five hours earlier, maybe I would have been really struggling. And so mm-hmm. just um, having a lot of support at different times, <laughs> varying times and, um, and checking in on the mama is just so helpful. Yeah. And also offering what you can offer to the new mom is really important because a lot of times the new mom doesn't know what she needs. Mm -hmm. And so this is where like mothers and mother-in-laws and aunties and, you know, friends can be so helpful who've been there before. If they can offer it in a way of like, this was what was helpful for me. I would be happy to do that for you rather than waiting for that person to ask them or to say, oh yeah, this is what I need. (laughs) You know, when somebody asks, you know, says, oh, please let me know what I can do. Like, that's really not helpful (laughs) because often the person who needs help doesn't know how to ask or what to ask for. And so, you know, they might be thinking to themselves, I need you to clean my bathroom. (laughs) I I really need someone to empty the dishwasher so I can put the dirty dishes in, you know, one by one when we like walk by, but like, I, I don't like have the capacity to empty the dishwasher and then fill it up right now because the baby needs me constantly right now. Yes. It's so true. And that really um, is a great way to articulate something I experienced, which is that my my rational brain really wasn't working that well. So mm-hmm. if someone said, how are you doing or what do you need? I couldn't really articulate what I needed. But I had one friend who would say like, oh, I'm thinking of bringing over dinner, you know, maybe like a chicken. Would that sound good? And then I could say, yes, that sounds great. Or, oh, I'm actually not feeling that. Or, you know, she gave me something to respond to, which was really helpful. And I love the idea of people who do have children being able to say like, oh, this is what helped me or, or this is what I've seen be helpful for other mamas. Um, yeah, you just cannot, cannot anticipate until you, until you've worked with women who've gone through it or until you've gone through it yourself, how little your capacity for other things are like mental thought or clear thought, or, you know, I realized when, um, 
when I had given birth to Ruby after a few days that each day I could pick one thing that I could do. And by one thing, I mean like making my herbal teas, the loose leaf tea and like boiling some water. That would be one thing I could do that whole day. I couldn't shower also that day. I couldn't do other things that day. Like that was just it. Like maybe 15 minutes, you know, you have per day. At least it felt like for me in the first few weeks. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're nursing, because no one else can do that. And uh, at least not in the beginning. Um, and, you know, it's that, you know, like, by the time you're done with the day, you're like, I did this for 20 hours today. It's like, I, you know, especially in the beginning, it's a very taxing, time consuming, all consuming process, blood, sweat, and tears. And um, it gets easier, but it, it doesn't start off easy. No, I mean, I had a pretty easy um, breastfeeding experience comparatively and that she latched really quickly and we didn't have a lot of latch or nursing issues, but she definitely was a cluster feeder. So there were times when I was nursing for five hours straight, just going from boob to boob to boob to boob. And, and it's crazy <laughs> um, how much energy that takes. You know, I was telling my partner because once I got a little overwhelmed and I was like, oh my God, I need you to take the baby. Um, I was like, imagine as a man, like releasing, you know, for five hours straight, like it's so much um, for your body to, to go through. So so let's let's talk now about thriving and pleasure, which is part of our intention for this call and this podcast episode. Um, how can mamas help themselves thrive and help themselves to experience pleasure amidst all the chaos that's happening as a new mom? So there's a lot of ways to do that, but the the main ones are to allow people to support you and to manage um, anxiety. Uh, and so it might mean that you have to be a little bit vulnerable, which is hard in a time when you're already feeling vulnerable and you're recognizing how fragile life is because you're holding this little person and your mind is going a little nutty with things. Um, but um, if you can prioritize those things, then often um, the, um, the thriving will happen. So... Um, and you'll get there where you're really feeling like, oh yeah, this is good. This is really, this, this was the motherhood I was envisioning. <laughs> um, and so, so prioritizing, allowing people to support you and asking for help when you need to, and then, um, managing particularly anxiety, but any sort of like preexisting, um, things or, or feelings that come up in that way. Mm. That's such and, great advice. And then as far as pleasure goes, <laughs> I would say sort of uh, one of the things that comes up a lot with my clients um, in my community is like this, this thing that happens uh, often, even before the baby arrives, where you are prioritizing only their needs. And especially at the beginning, you know, what we already talked about is there's not a lot of time for other things. So at first it might be, that you, you go to the bathroom when you need to, right? At first it might be, you know, those little things or you have your favorite kind of tea because, you know, it just lights you up. Um, and it's like a little simple self-care pleasure. Um, but eventually as there's a little bit more space and as you're able to create more space, um, hold, hold space for that pleasure um, and prioritize it. 
because it's really hard to give from an empty cup. In fact, it becomes impossible. I think you will run too much of a deficit for for too long and something will happen. And what often happens are things like autoimmune disorders or mental health issues. And so um, you got you got to prioritize yourself. And that might mean different things for different seasons. Um, and it might mean that you have to have tough conversations with your partner that are, you know, not ones that we enjoy doing, but are necessary. Um, and it might mean that there are sacrifices for other things, right? Because sometimes there really aren't enough finances to go around. Sometimes there aren't really, you know, there's not enough time that that is for everybody, right? So that everybody gets, you know, 100% of what they need and want. And so sometimes it means that everybody has to share. And what I often see happening are that moms say, well, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the, um, the hit, right. I'm going to take it on because I don't want anybody else to suffer. And I think that's a really good impulse, but it also means that then they don't have enough to give. And so that's a, that's a big one. And then another one that comes up a lot in my practice is buy yourself new bras. (laughs) Um, if you're no longer nursing, um, stop wearing the nursing bras. If you're, if you change sizes, don't force yourself to wear a size that isn't comfortable for you anymore. Have more than one bra and make it a pretty one if you can. (laughs) Like not everybody has that choice, but, um, don't, don't sacrifice absolutely everything and definitely don't sacrifice there, right? So don't be wearing the same gross bra for three years. <laughs> and um, because I know that I know that you're browsing through Target or online getting those baby clothes. So you can absolutely get one thing for yourself. Mm, I love that piece of advice. Yeah, I definitely got new bras when I was pregnant that I'm still using when I, you know, now that I'm nursing, but I love the idea of getting, getting a new garment because that truly is just for, just for you and supporting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the one I go to a lot. Maybe it's like a pajamas that they want, you know, like some, some kind of thing like that. And that might be the thing for them. But often when I talk to women about like, how, how are things going for you? And, you know, they might come to see me six or 12 months in and things have been really hard. And I find out that they're, they're still wearing, you know, they're nasty, <laughs> they're nasty bra and they're not even nursing anymore. And they're like, it's so misshapen and, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, why have you not gone and, and purchased these? And they're like, because I just want to, like, I only see things for the baby now. And I'm like, I get it. And it's okay to prioritize yourself sometimes too. Totally. You have to give from the overflow. I had a tiny moment related to that about two weeks ago. Um, the baby was sleeping and sometimes she sleeps for 15 minutes and sometimes she sleeps for an hour. So you really never know how much okay. time you're going to get. But I was thinking to myself, okay, I can either pump because we do pump sometimes, um, to have bottles and stuff like that. I was thinking I can pump I can respond to a client email or I can do my makeup. And I was like, you know what? Me first, I'm going to do my makeup. And even though I wasn't even going to see anyone that day or be on okay. video, 
it was like a tiny moment to, for me to feel pretty <laughs> for me to like actually look at myself and, and notice myself and take care of myself versus everything going into the baby. And the funny thing is she ended up sleeping, you know, later and I was able to respond to the client email anyway. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't have to pump cause I still had plenty of milk in the fridge, but it was, it was a small way of me being like, yes, me first in this moment, because it's important. Yeah. I think that's so brilliant because so often we put ourselves last and that never, that never does anybody good unless it's like an emergency. Um, it doesn't do anybody any good. And you have so much more capacity to do the things like pump and, you know, respond to clients with your full self if you have a little bit. So whether it's putting on makeup or, you know, making sure that you get dressed or prioritize some kind of shower or spritz of some kind um, in those early days, um, I I always recommend at least change into new pajamas. <laughs> like if you're going to stay in pajamas or yoga pants or leggings or whatever that day, um, just change into new ones. You will feel so much better if you're starting fresh. Totally. Oh my God. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of all the times that that was my ritual is like toweling off a little bit and then changing robes for me as robes. I just love wearing robes, but mm-hmm. I had three or four that I would just rotate between. And I think that's all I wore for like the first six weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's really great for nursing. It really helps, but I love that you changed because, Um, So often, you know, women are talking about, you know, I'm covered in spit up and breast milk and, you know, some food that I shoveled into my mouth at some point that spilled all over myself. And they're like, I've been wearing the same thing for four days. (laughs) Like, you cannot possibly feel good like that. You cannot. So true. Yeah. And all the ways that we try to feed ourselves, like nursing while also trying to eat and... (laughs) It's pretty, it's pretty comical and, and crazy at the same time. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your work. Like what, what stages of motherhood do you support women with? Do you just do in-person clients? Like how are you bringing your gifts to the world in these ways? Yeah. So in my private practice, I see all stages of motherhood. Um, so I see, um, women who really want to become mothers who have not been able to make that happen for whatever reason, whether they don't have a partner or they um, were born without a uterus or they have um, fertility issues. Um, And then I see, of course, pregnant women and and postpartum folks. And then um, as they progress through motherhood, And then I have a few clients here and there who are um, changing seasons of motherhood, like their their kiddos are going off to college or have moved away um, or, you know, maybe they are a parent and they lose a child. Um, So I support support folks in all of those transitions. Um, in my private practice. And then I also have an online community called Mama Thrive Village. And um, it's a blog and I have a couple of courses that I'm planning to launch this year. And I'm hoping that one day it will become a membership and uh, trying to get all of those things sorted out. But it's a place online 
where um, folks can talk about their parenting struggles, particularly women talking about like the motherhood journey and um, how to deal with those transitions and ask questions about, um, you know, what's, what's normative for this period and, you know, what would other parents do? And then with my background, I'm able to sort of moderate and just make sure it's a safe space. Um, and a lot of folks find that it's really helpful. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine because you were saying something earlier about being vulnerable and I found it's a lot easier for me to be vulnerable with other either mamas or professionals in the space than sometimes friends or people who, even though I'm close to in other parts of my life, I just, for whatever reason, either don't want to burden them or I don't necessarily feel that they'll be able to hold space for me in the way that I need them to. It's just it is somewhat easier for me at least to open up to people who are either going through something similar or have gone through something similar or who have worked with people, you know, like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to have all different kinds of support. So sometimes we need people who are not in the same spot as us to support us in, in a certain way. And then I think it is really helpful to have people who are like, Oh yeah, that's not a, that's not a big deal. You know, it, you'll get through it. It's going to be fine. Or to say, yes, actually that does feel really horrible or really challenging. And I've been there too. And you're not alone. Mm. Yeah, thank you for expressing that about the different types of support and making sure we're, we're tapping into all those layers of community. So how can people find you if they want to join your Mama Thrive Village, if they want to hear more about your courses when they come out? Yeah, so my website is mamathrivevillage.com. And then um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and it's at Mama Thrive Village, and it's M-A-M-A is how I spell Mama, so. Perfect. And I'm going to put the links in the show notes about your Facebook group and your Instagram and your website. And then I think there's also something that you uh, have for people who are listening to this. Yeah, I have a um, an ebook called Depression Proof Your New Family. And it talks about um, how to uh, create that supportive environment and how to ask for help and how to um, thrive in your postpartum time. And so it's great for um, folks who are about to have a baby or um, who've just had a baby. Um, and uh, it, I, I want to give it away to your folks who might want it. Um, and so there's a freebie version that I, um, that I have for, for everyone and or anybody who's interested. Amazing. I will put that in the notes as well as the link to get the free um, ebook for anyone who's, who's yeah, wanting to make sure that they're well prepared for this journey. And you can share it, of course, with people who you know, who also need that extra support. I really don't know anyone who wouldn't need the extra support, because even if you are well supported, there are things that come up that you just could never anticipate. And so why not have all the resources at your fingertips and go into it, um, already knowing that it's going to be a vulnerable time. Yeah. And I think what, um, a lot of my clients have found really most helpful about the information in the ebook is that it offers ideas of, um, conversations to have with the people in your life about how to support you. 
because mm. we don't often know how to ask for that or to talk to our partners when we know like oh their default is to sort of withdraw in this moment or moments like this and so I'm worried that you know that's going to happen and it's hard to have those conversations sometimes um, without um, sort of poking sensitive spots in the relationship and so there's some of those kinds of ideas and it's short so um, that can be helpful at a time that's already packed with things to do. Yes, but a perfect thing to do in the pregnancy. I wish I would have known about that. Um, she was a little bit late, Ruby was, and so I had a lot of time on my hands that I hadn't anticipated, and it sounds like a great resource that I will definitely tap into before my next baby. So thank you, awesome. Danielle. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? No, I think we covered it all. Um, and I'm always happy to answer questions uh, in the Facebook group or um, my contact information is all over the place when you <laughs> when you look um, on social media and the website. Um, and so I'm, I'm always happy to answer questions for folks or point them toward resources that might be appropriate for them. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your generous heart and for all of this wisdom and for spreading the word and building awareness about maternal mental health. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and turning on for healthy love because better relationships mean more power, more creativity, and a better planet. I'm here to end the suffering of abuse and loneliness, and it starts with you please subscribe to my show and leave a review.